This is the All Sports Podcast devoted to your favorite teams in North Texas. Welcome to Ballsy, a production of the Dallas Morning News and Sports Day. Our weekly show is proudly hosted. Okay, strike that. Our show is hosted by Kevin Sherrington, Evan Grant, and myself. I'm David Moore, and who knows, maybe we'll have a special guest or two along the way. In this episode, we're going to be talking about the Dallas Cowboys. Catch other episodes by subscribing to the Ballsy Podcast on iTunes. We're also on social media. Just search Ballsy Podcast on Facebook and Twitter, and you'll be notified of the latest episode. Don't forget, it's Ballsy with a Z. Are you ready, sports fans? Ballsy starts now. Hello, everybody, and welcome into Ballsy, the Sports Day DFW Dallas Morning News podcast. Unfortunately, that is Evan Grant waving at the screen. I am Kevin Sherrington. Here is David Moore. We're here to tell you about everything that's going on with the Cowboys, every single thing. Okay, maybe not. And Evan's just here to emote yes. for the camera. Yes, he is. He is a he's a mugger. He is a chief chief mugger of the podcasters. I'm doing some thespianing. Thespianing, yeah. <laughs> So you know, nothing much went on uh, with the Cowboys during the bye week, right? You know, they yeah, they take a little trade away off. the first round pick. <laughs> yeah, the first round pick. Just miss their uh, offensive line coach after yeah. the head coach spends the weekend at the uh, World Series. Yeah, and then you know they brought Hudson Houck back, and uh, you know I, I saw that Dave Campo uh, tweeted that he's the greatest offensive line coach ever. So, but he's not the offensive line coach; he's just in an advisory advisory yeah, capacity. Yeah, that's a, that's that means that he's the offensive line. Well, I know what that means is. That He's just there for for Mark Colombo, who is the new offensive line coach, and who was the assistant. Uh, we'll now have somebody he can lean on. So where, where do we start today? Should we start with the Cooper thing? Because we didn't we didn't get a chance to talk about that last week. Uh, yeah, sure. sure I mean that I, that's got bit. the mo- does that have the most impact, or will changing the offensive line coach have a bigger impact? Well, if Cooper doesn't have a bigger impact, as we as we talked about, there will be consequences to pay. Uh, going forward at the end of this season. For who? For the general manager? No, I believe it'll go a little below that. Oh, okay. So, incorporating Cooper in, look, he's going to – he has a skill set, and and he's better than any receiver they have in here. There's no question. When you look at his history – well, here's another thing, because people seem to bring everything back to Des Bryant with the Cowboys. Since Amari Cooper has come into the league – uh, which would be 2015. So uh, Des was in before that. But but since that period, Des Bryant had four games with the Cowboys of 100 or more yards. Cooper had 13 games of 100 or more yards for Oakland. And, and I think what you're going to see with Cooper is, and I think this game, this season for him in Oakland really illustrates a lot of what you're getting. He's had two games this year where he had 118 and 127 yards in a game. Right. His, the rest of the time his other four games, he's been 17 yards or less. Yeah. Now, the thing is, even when he has those 17-yard games, you at least have to enter the game accounting for him from a defensive standpoint. Now, as the game plays out, you shift your defense, and, and it can hurt you over the course of the game. But this is the, the only receiver the Cowboys have that defenses are going to say, okay, we need to know where Amari Cooper is at all times. Are we going to assign our best corner to him? Are we going to uh, just play our, our zones and, and, and give him help over the top? Uh, how do we go about it? So 
Now, what has to happen is someone else has to step up. But but I would anticipate that really what you've seen throughout Cooper in his career is what you're going to see here, where he could come out in his first game against Tennessee and catch six balls for 117 yards and a touchdown, and then people get excited. And then the next week in Philadelphia, he has two catches for 27 yards. Right. Yeah, I th- and, and let me just – Oh, go ahead and say what you want to say, Evan. Well, I mean, the 200-yard the <laughs> games this year were against that. My gosh, the 200-yard games were against the Giants and against uh, Detroit. Yes, um, the Giants are god awful. Uh, Detroit, I think, has has proven itself to be a decent team, but they've mm-hmm. they've been a little bit up and down. Um, but in the past, Cooper's had like 100-yard games against Philadelphia and some really good teams, too. I, but yeah. I mean, my, my thing here is I don't know – I still don't know who Amari Cooper is at this point in time mm-hmm. just because he's played on such a god-awful franchise for, for the last four years, and they're so often playing from behind. Mm-hmm. And for, say whatever you want, David Carr at least will fling the ball, you know? Yeah. Uh, I mean, Derek, Derek Carr. Carr. Derek Carr, yeah. David Carr would, too. David Carr would, too. Yeah. Right. I, I think what they like about him is that – is that he is an outstanding route runner and that more so than, you know, you often hear Jason Garrett talk about how, um, you know, this game isn't ultimate Frisbee. You can like, you can get yards after the catch. You don't have to catch and go down, right. which so many of the receivers do. Um, you know, he creates separation with the route. You don't have to, you don't have to, you know, you keep hearing people talk about, well, why doesn't this coaching staff do a better job of of scheming people open? From what my understanding is, you don't have to scheme Amari Cooper open. With his speed and his ability to run routes, he gets himself open. And so it should be an ideal fit for this system. That being said, you're dropping him into this system seven games into the season with no training camp, no offseason, with an offense that's struggling and an offensive line that is uh, Jekyll and Hyde offensive line that's completely different on the road than at home and is going back and and hitting the reset button. Kevin, what are your first thoughts on Cooper? Can I I talk now, Evan? Yes. What are your thoughts on Cooper? (laughs) You want to give him a time limit? I'm the the guy who wrote that they should trade for him. Oh, my God. Well, you asked me what I thought. You asked me what I thought about Cooper. did Did you not read that column, Evan? Evan. Evan, do you not have it at home on your coffee table? It's, right it's now, it's laminated. Right next to the Rangers should laminated? trade for Cole Hamels, <laughs> and next to the um, uh, uh, who, who were you touting? I'm not, I'm not talking anymore. Who were you touting that they I'm should not, trade I'm for not, from I'm Seattle? Not talking anymore. Who was the linebacker? I'm not talking. Earl anymore. Thomas. He's not a linebacker. He's a safety. Safety. I'm sorry. Yeah, that's yeah. how much football I know. You asked me what my thoughts were about getting Amari Cooper, and so I told you. I'm not talking anymore. That's it. He's out. Kevin's out. Look, he's really. Done. That's a good podcast. Refer to my column from two weeks ago. Does he catch you the ball summarize with his hands or with his body? Not talking. Oh my god! I'm not, not talking. talking. <laughs> not talking. If you you know you asked me what I thought and I said I I, I wrote since since I wrote that he that they should trade for him I should be in favor of the trade should I not be? I don't know. We could you could always change your mind. No, I don't do that. I don't. I don't flip flop <laughs> on these things like you do. Flip flopper. My point is, is that just as David said, because he's a good route runner, uh, he is the kind of guy that, to me, there are two things here that you should look for to, for the reason to think that it could at least be 
at least a moderate success here early on. One, because of what David said, they have to scheme for him. Uh, other defense have to do it. They didn't have to do that before but for any of the other Cowboys receivers. So that means that they got to spend a little time doing something else. Um, two, there's always just a threat on the field. You have to, you have to remember that he, is, uh, he could beat you deep. Uh, he could make a big play here, and teams will have to, to respect that. And three, I think the thing that, uh, you know, that struck me when, when uh, Dak – uh, came in and he developed an immediate bond with Cole Beasley, just immediate. It was, it was striking to me uh, how willing he was to throw the ball to him. And I think what we had to ask ourselves is why, why was that? Why did he develop this bond? Well, I think it's because two things. He trusted the route. Well, Cole Beasley runs a great route and he's always open. And he, and 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 Dak wants to throw to somebody who's open. He, I don't think he's confident in his own ability to put it in a tight window, which you know probably is a valid uh, self-assessment. So I, I think that if Amari Cooper is, is that guy, which he seems to be, that's what his career has suggested so far, that he's a guy who gets himself open, that that will make a difference with Dak. Uh, and, I, and I think that there's the possibility of him developing a, a, a rapport with him Fairly quickly. I'm not saying it will happen in one week or two weeks or three or maybe even by the end of the season. I just think that there's the potential there, more so than if you'd gotten another wide receiver like Dez, who clearly there was no chemistry between the two of them, uh, none. And, that, and, that, and it just never worked. We kept waiting for that to happen, and it never worked. But you used the word moderate success. You said yeah. it could be. This can't be a moderate success. No, yeah, it can. Look, here's the thing with this this team. Uh, it's a run-based team. It is going to be a run-based team, right. no matter what. Uh, no matter who they added at wide receiver. And, I'm, and frankly, how many other wide receivers were better than Amari Cooper out there? There's probably about five or six. You know, this is a guy. Nobody that was available. No, but sure. there was no one that was right. available. Absolutely. I'm just talking about it in the league as a whole. Uh, so, it, it took, but no matter who. I think he's been very, I mean, his numbers week to week vary wildly. That's the thing. He he is, but a lot of that has to do with the tar- look at the targets. Right. We don't, you know, and I don't watch that. I mean, I just see the highlights of Oakland's game. Right. I don't, I don't watch them every week. But you know, you look at the targets when he when he had the two big games. One of them, he was ten of ten, 10 yeah. on targets. Right. And then, like and everybody wants something. to talk yeah. about the drops. A lot of drops last year. You not know, this year. Not, not this year though. This year. No. Yeah. I mean, and it's like they it's like they were saying about him the other day. Sanjay Lyle said. That you got ten inch hands, big hands. You know, you love that. The question is not the question is not that he that he is uh, uh, it's constant. It's a matter of concentration. What they're saying is, and this happens a lot with a lot of wide receivers. Ball's coming here. It comes. He will use his hands to catch. He's not a body catcher. He will use his hands to catch it. But then he does this. He, he gets distracted and, and he's looking to where am I going? You know, he's not looking it all the way in, taking it all the way in his hands, and then putting it in here and locking it in, and then taking off because he's ready to go after the catch. So it's a matter of concentration, basically, with him. But uh, so I, I'm not. Those those are not the things that uh, to, to me. What he has to make is just a moderate impact. Because right now, no one's making an impact at wide receiver. Cole Beasley occasionally, but you can shut Cole Beasley down. You know, if you and that's not nothing. You can against, take any one wide receiver. You can out. take any one wide receiver, but, but especially receiver. A, but especially a little bitty one. Well, yeah. Cole Beasley, <laughs> Cole Beasley becomes a lot bigger threat to me too if sure. you've got somebody on the outside, legitimate outside receiver some teams going in this season just said let's take Cole Beasley away and that's who else is he going to go to and they have it now you've seen the flashes of Gallup and I'm fascinated to see what Gallup can do with Amari Cooper on the other side based on what we've seen these last two games if you but Evan but but real quickly to your previous point I think his inconsistency 
will be modified and somewhat lessened as far as a negative impact because this is a run-first team. Right. Uh, if this was a team that had to pass 300 to 350 yards a game right. to win, then you need him there game in and game out. Right. Uh, now, I'm not saying you want an inconsistent player in any spot, but there are fewer instances for that inconsistency to hurt the team at receiver when you're a run-based team versus... Well, and I mean, the flip side of that is if you're a run-based team, I think it mitigates some of the inconsistency. Exactly. The, the, the inconsistency yeah. doesn't necessarily show up because you're not having to throw to them as often as if you're a pass-dominated team where you've got to throw to them 10 times a game. And that was the difference, too. I, somebody mentioned this. I don't remember who it was. They talked about the fact that, uh, you know, this is this is Zeke Elliott's team. You right. know, uh, you know, in Oakland, it's not Marshawn Lynch's team. You it's know. nobody's team. It's, it's, it's really nobody. Oh, it's John Gruden's team. Well, yeah, it is John Gruden's team. You're right. Team. You're right, it is. But that, that's that's the difference is that you, you this is a dynamic element you've got in the back. But Marshawn Lynch is a nice running back. So you in favor of this trade? You, you were. Yes. I, I, you know, he I, wrote about it. He wrote he was in favor of it. Why, I think, why do you keep asking him this? You, you clearly I, did not read the but, column. But he, he didn't say they should give up a number one. No, I didn't say that. But I will say this, uh, that uh, – and I, I look at this the same way Gilbrandt said this, and uh, and I think we should trust Gilbrandt a little bit in his judgment. And and everybody who we're too romantic about first round draft picks. I think that they're I think that they're really important. There's no question about that. But it also depends where the pick is. If it's a top ten pick, then yeah, then probably that that's hard to get rid of that. You better really be getting an unbelievable player for that. But if you're talking about a player that's that's going to be 15 or 20 or 25, in the lower half, then right. it's then it's not so good anymore. So are you okay with the price that was paid? Uh, well, I, I think I, because I think this team is probably going to go eight and eight, nine and seven. You know, if it goes nine and seven, they're probably going to win the division. That means that you that this trade helped you win the division, right? And I think that that, 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 that it, what you're saying to cut to the chase is if is if he makes a difference in making you nine right. and seven. He gets you to the playoffs. This yeah. trade alone gets you to the playoffs. Absolutely, and and so I I think that and then and then there's the potential for the future as well. I mean, you're 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 getting a guy who was a what was he the fourth pick? Fourth, yeah. He was the fourth pick of the draft in 2015. Fourth, and then he goes out and his first two years he makes the Pro Bowl. Both years over a thousand yards receiving. How, Not a lot of rookies get a thousand. How many yards wide receiving. receivers do that? You're None. getting the fourth pick in 2015 to pair with the fourth pick in 2016. Yes. Right? Yeah, and or do you, what do you think about the price? Oh, they overpaid, but they put themselves in a position where they had to overpay, and uh, you're making up for poor personnel decisions going into the season. You're looking at where you are in the season. You're projecting on where you could be in the draft, and you're saying, you know, this is a little high, but um, we're not going to get a receiver in the draft who's better, no matter where we are in the draft. Uh, then. How can we accurately assess Dak Prescott and make the decision on whether or not we pay him franchise quarterback money right. if we don't give him the, the weapons in place? While we don't like see, – see, the other reason you want to keep your draft picks too is because, again, you, you get to keep those players – the first-round picks. You have five years. Uh, you exercise that option. You have some cost control and cost certainty – for five years, and then you can lock them in another year or two after that with a franchise tag. And so it gives you – you know what your finances are. Right. Now where you have Amari Cooper, 
Uh, he's going to make $13.5 million next year. Now you have to decide within the next year, the half year to year and a half, okay, how much are we going to pay him? How much is he in our scheme? And you're paying him for those first two years that he produced that you got no benefit out of. So, so for, for all of those reasons, yes, they overpaid with a one, but they backed themselves into a corner. And just because you overpay to do something doesn't mean it shouldn't have been done. And this team needed to do something. Okay, so yes or no, a week ago were they a playoff team? I think they were on the outer edges of being a playoff team. After the loss to Washington, I thought they were a playoff team before the loss to Washington. That division loss on the road to drop them 0-4 in the road really put them in a bind. Are they a playoff team now? They improved their chances a small percentage to be a playoff team. Kevin, were they a playoff team a week ago? Uh, no. Are no. they a playoff team now? No, yes. I love this guy's stuff. Evan's getting his, his quick one fight answers, you know, one, this, that. You know, the young kids, they love that. Oh, yeah, right. <laughs> you listen, here's the thing, you know, and I agree. Before the loss to Washington, were they a playoff team? I think I, I, think, I already just said that. I just said, is it okay if I say that? that no, no, I already no, I, said that. He, David, said, David said that after the loss to Washington, he thought they were on the outer edges. I'm saying, did the loss uh, to Washington uh, change your opinion? I, unlike David, uh, I did think that this team was still going like this. Right. Uh, and I and I and which is why I picked them to lose against Washington was because uh, I, I I just know this team is just just doing that. Now I, I do think that having this uh, this player does give them a better chance. And it, and listen, they, the other thing is it's just a bad division. It, you know the, the the division stinks. You know, but uh, you still got to go nine and seven to win this division. I wasn't impressed with the fact that the Eagles beat Jacksonville. Uh, on the road. I, I thought that was a... Well, uh, Philadelphia's strung a couple together now, so yeah, you have to have. look at that and go, okay. Yeah. you got to go 9-7 and seven to win this division. At you're least. not going to win it at 8-8. Eight eight. No, no okay. you're not. Well, but no. the Cowboys now have to go 6-3 and three the rest of the way right. to win this division. Yes, and it has to be the right six games. Right. It can't but, just be 6-3. and three. It has to be the right six games. But it's also, a week, it's also a week schedule, two winning teams... The Redskins being one of them, and I, and their record's a miracle. Uh, and and the they, Saints, they didn't look very good. And the Saints are the other. New Orleans. Right. So uh, so it, it does set up for them to do all this, and that's another reason why you make big trades like this. You do big dynamic blockbuster things if you think it's putting you over the hump. Right. If, if you, well, think, I mean, that's the thing. Both of you guys just said that you think they're a playoff team now. Uh, yeah. I, I said I said their chances in. We're going to know very quickly on this because you, after you have Tennessee, no choice but to know very quickly. Well, but after Tennessee, you on the road at Philadelphia, on the road in Atlanta. Okay. Those two games are going to determine whether or not you're a viable postseason. You've got to go. You've got to go two and one, and you can't lose two of the next three. You're done. No, you you've got to win two of the next three. Right, and. You really need to win at Philly. Now, if you lose at Philly, you're still in it if you win at Atlanta. Right. But, but now suddenly you have two division losses. Yeah, you, uh, you're going to have to run the di- you're going to have to run the tables on the division after that. You're going to ha- I think you're going to have to sweep Philly uh, because they're, they're they are starting to come back up. Right. Right. Uh, but here's here's the other thing about the Amari Cooper trade. The reports were that the Eagles also wanted Amari Cooper, and then one report was that they had offered a two. A two. Right. So what if the Eagles had gotten Cooper? 
What would, what would all the Cowboys fans who are complaining and saying, oh, I can't believe they've been railing, how could you let Philadelphia oh, how, sneak in there and you know, do that? Howie Just Rose, like last year. Yeah. Got, yeah. Howie Roseman, once again, comes in, makes the genius trade, and gets his team going. and makes the, Puts makes, his team over the hump. Puts his team over the hump, and while Jerry's sitting and twiddling his thumbs. So that's a, that's a you know you, you don't want to necessarily make a move just because, to keep somebody else from doing it, but it, it certainly doesn't help. It doesn't hurt if you're doing that. Well, All here's right. the other question: When you say uh, a move to put a team over hunt, because again, scraping by and winning a bad division and going in my mind and getting over the hump are two different things. So, well, that's true. This team could win the division. Now, does this does this, this trade this put them any closer to the Rams or the Saints? Or even Minnesota in no, the NFC? I don't think it does. I mean, I but I, I do think it gets them in the turn. I, I I do think it improves the chances of getting them in the tournament and gives them a chance of winning a game. And and for everybody's sake sure. that's employed at the Dallas Cowboys, they've got to get to the playoffs and win a game. You can't. And and look, here's the other thing too. And and, and people just live in the past way too much, and they think that oh, you have to have a great team to make this sweep. The Eagles won last year with a backup quarterback. Right. You know, you just get hot, and you and you and you and, back, and a backup left tackle, right? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So I mean, that that's that's the thing that you have to remember. But if the Cowboys have the potential, they flashed that potential against Jacksonville. They just looked terrific. I don't think that was an anomaly. I don't think that means that though they you know that this oh that they were just all playing out of their minds that game. No, this is what they can be when they get everything going right. So they had the potential to do things. Uh, it's it's not there's there's a lot of talent out there now. In years past, when we talked about the defense and the you know the offense had all those guys in the offensive line, but they didn't have anybody on defense, right? It was just Sean Lee. It was Sean Lee and a bunch of guys. Well, that's not the case anymore. Now they have several players on defense. All right. Well, let's get to the other issue that that was of significance, and that is that they change offensive line coaches. Uh, seven games into into the season. Paul seven, Alexander's gone to heaven. Seven games into Paul Alexander. <laughs> no, he was at heaven when he was hired. I don't know if he, if he <laughs> he's gone to heaven. Jerry sent him to heaven. Maybe they pulled him back from heaven. <laughs> Tenure yesterday. Here. I, I have a bunch of questions about this. The first of which is far away, Evan. The first of which is, don't you? If you're going to make that move, don't you make that earlier in 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 the bye week situation? Do we know when that was made? Well. My understanding was the discussion began to intensify toward the end of last week. So it was something that was being discussed. It and and again, this is so this is such an unusual move. Uh Jason Garrett's never let go of a coach during the season. No. Since he's been in place since two thousand eleven. Which should tell you something. You rarely see that across teams and now I know you just saw it that same day with Cleveland but Cleveland yeah. is a is a different animal well, they than, fire the head coach. teams and yeah. yeah Cleveland it's an annual yeah it's an yeah. annual event um fire it, the head coach it's day. very I mean it's 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 out of the box you, you really hardly ever see it during the course of a season and so I, I think that everyone in the organization had to work through well if we really think this is the best move, why not? And then when they when they discovered they were actually talking about it seriously, then it's like, okay, um, well, we like Columbo a lot, but does he have the necessary background from a, a mechanic standpoint as far as, you know, and how can we do that? Oh, well, maybe Hudson Howe. So I, so I think once they got by the initial idea and shock of, like, teams just don't do this in the season, it doesn't make sense. Um by I was told by the end of last week, 
before Jason Garrett hopped on a plane to go to Los Angeles. We'll get into that. In that, a that the discussion that the discussion was intensifying and was moving in that direction. I also believe, you know, um, Paul Alexander really spoke for the the only time since uh, training camp last week because all of the assistants are uh, are required to be available during the bye week, uh, even if they're not allowed to speak during the season. Right. And uh, he w- he was walking off. So last Thursday, he was leaving the practice field uh, with Scott Linehan. And as Scott Linehan veered to his left, and the vast majority of reporters went with Linehan because that was the first time he'd had a chance to talk about Amari Cooper, uh, Paul Alexander quickly turned to the right and started to go upstairs before like two or three of us stopped him and said, hey, can we talk to you for a little bit? And he actually made a comment of, oh, I thought I was going to get out of here. He caught me is what he and, said. And he, and, he told, and he actually told a story about how it was in Cincinnati after they would have a bad game. He would purposely like put himself next to Corey Dillon, their running back, knowing everyone wanted to talk to Corey Dillon and not him. So when everyone went for Dillon, he would like disappear. So anyway – um, he Strategies goes through. of coaching 101. <laughs> yeah. But anyways, he's going through. I, I thought there were several comments, but but now reflecting back, certainly I don't think Jason Garrett or, or management was pleased with the comment on, you know, I asked him, I said, well, you know, how are people adapting to your coaching techniques? Because I don't want to get too technical here, but he, he has a different – he has – players use their hands differently it's a high hand low hand technique where instead of like he wants you to stab rather than punch and it's just a different uh, a different way to pass block that not many coaches in this league really coach and his response to on how the players were responding to it was well some of the guys are doing really well with it other guys or working with it, and then there's some guys who just don't want to mess with it. <laughs> that was great, wasn't it? <laughs> I, I I'm having a real I don't impact know, here. Even though, even though internally you see that going on, when a position coach declares to the world that some of your guys don't want to mess with what you're telling them to do, I think that I think everyone internally goes, "Okay, does." This well, I mean, it, it gets down to to buy-in. Forget all the, forget all the technical and and um, yeah, coaching exactly. elements of it. It just gets down to buy-in. And you don't have buy-in because they've been so bad on the road. The first thing that you've got to do as a coach, it doesn't matter what sport, is get buy-in from your guys. You've got to convince your guys why what you're preaching to them is a smart technique, sure. why it will work. And if you can't do that, then you're in a, you're going to be ineffective as sure. a coach. What do you think? Do you, I mean, did they wait? Should I, I, you're not going to be working with players during the off week, right? Well, they two two days Wednesday and th- the thing is, if you would have made the move, you would have had to make the move probably while you're at the African American Museum on your road trip after the game on Monday because you come back. You practice Wednesday, Thursday, and then the players are off for at least four days. In the right. Cowboys' case, five days because they have a Monday night game. So they had two practices last week. So if you weren't going to do it before Wednesday, uh, you wait until this five-day gap before they come back. And uh, I think you just tell, I think you just tell Paul Alexander we don't have a ticket for you for the <laughs> for the African American Museum. 
Uh, you can go to the Smithsonian. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Uh, does it matter? Yeah, does, that matters. It matters. Does, sure. does the timing matter? Sure, it matters. I mean, the, why wouldn't you want to do it as soon as possible? I right. mean, th- this is why teams do things like this on the bye week is so to give themselves a little extra time. Why wait another three? No, but that, he's w- not going to really work with. Pl- I mean, even if you brought Colombo in for those practices on Wednesday and Thursday, it doesn't matter if you're working with the players. Well, he was still there. Colombo does a lot of hands-on yeah kind of okay. stuff. So he the, does. A, he's he's he was the assistant offensive line coach right. and. And and real, if we can talk about him briefly, there was discussion about him taking this job last year. He was a candidate for the job. He was a candidate. I, I, my sense is from talking to people there is they they've always liked Colombo. They thought he would move into this position. Uh, they're moving it into him out of desperation now, a little quicker than they wanted to. But they felt that, well, you know, look, Kellen Moore is different. Kellen Moore has no background in coaching, but he's over three guys in a room. And the offensive coordinator does a lot of the day-to-day stuff and is more subservient to right. he, uh, him. The way you described it, Kellen Moore was brought in basically as an assistant assistant coach. And, and, yeah. and the, the offensive line coach is, is in a is lot of ways over something a group of a coordinator. Of, of, yeah. of 10 or 11, and, and you're actually coordinating with the run game. And it, so it, it, there's more responsibility there. Um, they just felt, uh, you know, Colombo joined the staff in 2015. He became assistant offensive line coach in 2016. They just thought that was a little too fast of a track. Even though they thought he could do it, they thought they needed more experience. You're bringing Kellen Moore in with no experience. Do you want to elevate another guy on offense into that? So they went, uh, let's go ahead and do Alexander. Now, they, now they're looking at it and going, well, we should have just done Colombo from the start. All right, we got sidetracked on the timing. What was your, what's your thought on the timing? You find out yesterday – What's your what's your immediate thought on the timing of the move? Well, I wasn't I wasn't sure exactly when it happened. Uh, so it's so like when I wrote about it, I, I I didn't want to say that oh they should have you know, maybe maybe they I didn't, for all I knew maybe they, they had announced actually, it yesterday. They announced it yesterday. It could have happened last right. Wednesday, Tuesday, whenever. So I don't I didn't know exactly when it happened. Uh, you know I, I think that you know but you have to you make this move. It, it was an easy thing to do to bring uh, to, to shift over to Colombo, who was a guy that was really well-respected by the offensive lineman. He was always considered the leader of, of that bunch when he played. And, and so uh, I think that's an easy thing to do. And then you go back and you get Hudson Houck, a longtime Cowboy coach, offensive line coach, a lot of comfort level there. I think that uh, – but I think what we're, I want to get to, because I know we got to start wrapping this up, is that what this said about Jason Garrett doing this? Because you're right, it is unusual for him to do this kind of thing. So you have to ask yourself, why is he doing it? Uh, and he's doing it because I think he knows that time is short. I know that, and I hate a lot of people on Twitter, a lot of people in emails saying, "Oh, he's Jerry's, you know, third son. He's not ever going to fire him." I think that's crazy. Yeah, but the, my my question on that would be: Is he stepping out of his comfort zone to grow, or is he stepping out of the comfort zone out of desperation? Well, I think it's a little bit out of desperation. I, I think desperation. That he, yeah, he he has to. That's but that's never a good strategy. It's not to grow; it's desperation. Well, I, I think that I think if you think because here's the other thing: Paul Alexander was an outsider. I don't even right. know how well he knew, knew Paul Alexander. Uh, Hudson Hawk is somebody he knows. Right. You know, uh, Colombo is somebody. Colombo is somebody he knows. When it's the end. And you're circling the wagons. Who are you surrounded with? You want to be surrounded by people that you know and you're comfortable with, and, and nobody's stabbing with. me in the back, and no, and, you know, and or I'm stabbing you in the front like Paul Alexander. <laughs> yeah. So you know, and, and here's the other thing too about that offensive line as well is that listen, this is where all the money's invested. They they take up a fifth of the salary cap. Right. Those just the five. And starters. it's supposed to be an elite group, it, even it, though they've had the, the injuries. When Frederick's there, yeah. yeah. So you know, you know how that is. You you can't fire the players. You fire the coach. 
but especially when this is where you got all your money invested. This is what our identity is. This is who we're supposed to be. And when this group's not performing, right. wow, we're, we're really screwed. Right, it, it was very, very quick. It was very telling this year where Jason Garrett, who is loath to single out anyone or any group after a loss for not playing well, because then we'll painstakingly go through, no, it's everyone, we didn't do this, we didn't do that, we didn't, you know. Twice this year, after the Houston game and after the Washington game, came out and said our offensive line did not play well, it has to do better. He has not done that with any position group or really individual in this entire time as coaching. So for him to do that twice, uh, looking back, was certainly raising the flag that look what's going on here. All right, before we bring Gary Myers in, we we have to touch on Jason Garrett and the World Series. And I just know from previous experience, I thought that the last time that we went through something that took place during the off week, I thought we made much ado about nothing, which was – Two guys in in Witten and Romo getting away, and they went to Cabo for a couple of days. Bobby Carpenter. Um, oh, that's right. Bobby went with them. It didn't um, help his career, any. <laughs> well, his career was at a different place. Yes. Yeah. But given everything that's involved now, I've got a different view of the Garrett at the World Series thing. You're the insider. I want to know what your feel, what your feel on this is. I disagree with both of you. I know your stances. <laughs> I will, which means that you're wrong. I will, I will say, and I well could be. Uh, and I understand that. Look, the optics are horrible. The, I, let me say this: the optics were not good. The optics then changed to horrible once you issue a release on Monday afternoon, firing your offensive line coach, while your last photos were you yucking it up with Brad Paisley with Mary Hart only a few seats away. So you know, Mary, Hart, Mary Hart had nothing. She was way too into the game. Well, she yeah. should have. Well, Mary Hart should do something about Amari Cooper as well. Shouldn't she have been working on trying to get him incorporated Paul into Alexander, the offense? Paul Alexander's on a spit, and there's Jason <laughs> over there just yucking it up. <laughs> Nationwide is on my side. How's that for a jingle, Brad? Yeah. Um, but that right. that made it look. I I, so I think why, I think the release. Why was it not bad? I well, okay. I think the release of Paul Alexander. Moved it from, you know, the optics aren't good, but it's no big deal. Moved it over to another area where, really? <laughs> You're going to do this now? Uh, but all of that being said, I maintain that, that by and large, what people really have a problem with is Jason Garrett and how he coaches this team. It's not the fact that he's in – Los Angeles for the longest game in World Series history on Friday night. It's for the fact that this team is three and four. It's for the fact that this team has only won one playoff game since he's been here. It's on the fact that you don't like how he coaches this team. You don't think he should be there. My point would be, I bet, I bet all of these people who are railing about Jason Garrett being there, and I understand it, and I don't have a problem with it either. He chose to do it. He has to he has right. to deal with the fallout. But I also maintain if on last Friday, if we had video of Jason Garrett serving breakfast to the homeless in the morning and then going to a Habitat for Humanity site and working all afternoon to build a home, and that video was run that night, on social media you would have people saying, 
Oh, if only he would spend that much time trying right. to get the cow, helping the Cowboys. If only we would do that to help their passing game. All right, all your There's point- no question. And, and, and it comes down to he hasn't won enough, and we treat people who win differently than we do those who lose. And that's why Jimmy Johnson's words carry so much weight, because he won two titles here, and Jason hadn't won anything. All right, I get all your points. Now let's talk Thank to somebody who makes move some on. sense. <laughs> <laughs> ah, I like it, Kevin. I like it. What, what are your? I, w- I would like that that lead in all the time. <laughs> what are your thoughts? No, I, uh, you know that's uh, that's what I listen. It didn't make as much an imp- I had to say this. Uh, I was in Arkansas uh, for for the football game over the weekend. Dollar <laughs> Palm Squad, all that. So another good another good expenditure of a Saturday afternoon yeah, watching no that kid. squad. Yeah, no kidding. Has but, anybody ever lost to North Texas and Vandy in the same year? Uh, probably not. Yeah, probably not. Uh, but anyway, uh, we we don't pay attention to the game. We're just watching our daughter right. dance. So uh, <laughs> so anyway, uh, a lot of driving going on, and I'm falling asleep during these games, and so it's a little while you're driving. No, no, no. The, the okay. games while I'm watching the games, okay. it's a little, little difficult. Uh, so I didn't actually see. Jason, uh, you know, at, at the game, I, I actually did think so. At one point, the camera was flashing by, and I saw this red hair, and I thought I look like Jason Garrett. And uh, then I just thought, oh, he wouldn't be at the game. How crazy would that be? And so then, but then I saw on Sunday. I, then I saw Jimmy Johnson's comments, and and you know uh, that that just changes the conversation when a guy like him says something like that, uh, and it and it does it does put a, a, a different spin on it. And and this is a guy who no, now Jimmy's not ever been very critical uh, i don't think he's ever said anything critical about jason as far as i can recall really. no he's always you know he's been in jason's corner yeah so this was different you know jason has always considered him a mentor right. so it was i think i said a lot that that he would say that and and you know i i do think that uh you, you know you you need to be conscious of of how things look as a head coach you know you especially it'd be one thing if he'd gone sat in the suite and no one had seen him. This is Coach. He's on the front row. The optics there to me are Coach Nero. Okay. The, yeah. You know. Right. Here, here's the deal. You or Coach go, Zero either way. He, <laughs> he, he could have been in the office all morning Friday, hopped on a private plane at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, gone there, and come back on a, on a private red eye. My sources okay. tell me that was not the case. My sources tell me that he was on a flight on Friday morning. Okay. So – and came back Sunday afternoon. Yeah. <laughs> that makes it all that, that was, much worse. That was a long weekend. <laughs> but if you want to go to the game, that's fine. And I realize maybe I'm parsing things up. But here's what it looks like. Okay, you're sitting down there basically three seats over from Marlins man, who is everything that's wrong with sports <laughs> fandom. Now and, you're bringing your emotional baggage into it. But and, go on. and you're sitting there in the front row at the World Series – it makes you. It's very clear you're not the common man, Jason Garrett. When every common, when every cowboy fan wants you to be, have some emotion, right? You know, have some human feel, and you don't ever show that on the sidelines. And here you are yucking it up with, you know, the nationwide jingle guy, Brad Paisley, in the front row at this game. You could have gone to the game. You could you could have sat 15 rows back. Yeah, you know, had and, a camera and said, Listen, yeah, I don't want to be on TV. Make sure you don't. Show sure. me on TV. Um, it, listen, it wasn't an awful thing. It wasn't an awful thing, but it just wasn't a, good. It's just a bad look. And, and it, then it has no impact on what happens the remainder of the season, but it's a bad look. That's, I, I would agree with that. That And, and, and the same thing, uh, the Roma Witten trip had nothing to do with what happened the rest of that season. And I had but, less, but, but if they would have come back 
if Dallas would have come back and beaten the Giants, then the narrative would be, look, this team works hard, it plays right. hard, and they take care of business. Right. They I, didn't take care of business, so it's treated completely but, but differently. The, the bottom line on all this and, and is winning or losing. Right. I mean, we sports is a win or lose yes. proposition. And oh my God, Tommy's either crazy or he's telling us to, to, to wrap, wrap it up. up. Yeah. Yes, because well, we've got Gary Myers waiting, and we need to talk with him. The author Gary, of who? How about them Cowboys? Yeah. Uh, inside the huddle. Yeah, so let's shut down a good spirited conversation, please. <laughs> where Where is that going on? <laughs> Uh, let me. I, want, I would like to join that. Yeah. I, I give you props for your Coach Nero line. Yeah, uh, yeah that was that was just the look that I that, that it gave to me. Um, anyway, let's get to Gary Myers, and uh, we will um, we will revisit more Cowboys stuff after they play on well, we, Monday night. Yeah, and we're back now with Gary Myers, former Dallas Morning News staffer. We're a man of world. Renown. Why are you so subdued? Usually you're yelling into the microphone. Because Kevin told me I was too loud. But yeah, that's true. But Gary has a new book out. Gary is, is an accomplished author and has a new book out. Unlike any of us. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> I do have a book. And? It was called Juan Gone. It was oh, a that's right. book on yeah. the biography of Juan Gonzalez. It yeah. Not, I still have 50 copies in my office. <laughs> if you want some. Well, this isn't like, about you. You're not our guest. If you'd Very like to buy 45... Very thin, yeah. Um, it's very small. <laughs> but Gary's book is not. It is. Uh, it is called "How About Them Cowboys," and it is inside the the inside the huddle with the stars and legends of America's team. And where did you get that title, did Gary? Well, the um, I heard a, a, a Cowboys coach years ago <laughs> had um, had used that in the locker room. Yeah, but seriously. Um, there was a that was up for debate on what the title should be, and this one was my editor's idea, and I was saying, "Are we sure we want to do that because it's so closely identified with Jimmy?" And he thought, you know, the title kind of transcended all eras of the Cowboys. Now that people say it all the time, um, I, I will tell you this, and my, my choice for the title was based on the fact that a lot of the book is about Jerry, and his relationships with his family and with Jimmy and, and Parcells and him as a general manager. And I, I had five hours of interviews with Jerry and David, as you know, especially that allowed me to get into like four or five questions. Yeah, I was going to say, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you didn't get, you didn't get wife, through your list of questions. Not even close. Yeah. <laughs> my wife was a big football fan and also has a very good sense of humor. Her suggestion for the title and I loved it, and I couldn't convince my publisher on it, was Jerry Does Dallas. <laughs> yeah, that's a little closer. That would have been more fitting and on, it would have worked on several different levels. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It would have been much more apropos. That would have worked on several different levels, would have been much more apropos. Jerry would have certainly liked yeah, the title you know, better. The, the book isn't salacious or anything like no. that. You know, it's just, I just thought it was a funny, a funny way of, you know, the subtitle could have been, you know, behind the scenes with, the NFL's most controversial owner or something like that. But um, I, will, I do want to tell Evan and, and, and Kevin that I, I made an absolute star out of David Moore in the introduction as we combined to be Woodward and Bernstein finding Tom Landry <laughs> the morning after he was fired as we, we went from I – w- I was at the airport in uh, Addison, and then when I got to Landry's house, either David got there right before or right after me. 
And then uh, we took our search to Fuddruckers because all that staking out of Landry, we couldn't find them, made us very hungry. Much like Woodward or Bernstein. Yeah. Many many of the key scenes took <laughs> yeah. place at Fuddruckers. <laughs> at Fuddruckers. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. And then we, we just said, you know, he couldn't be out of Valley Ranch, could he? So, I mean, David was at Fort Worth at the time, but, you know, and, and we, we always competed, and with the, with the Times Herald, you know, may it rest in peace, um, was, was the main competition for the morning news at that point. Um, but it wasn't at that point, you know, because David and I were, were together, and I wasn't going to lie to him and say I'm going home, and then go out to Valley Ranch. And we kind of came up with the idea together as we were having lunch that maybe the last place we would expect him to be is cleaning out his office. So he said, let's give it a shot, you know, it's a Sunday afternoon. And he was there, and David and I did that interview together, and it was probably still the most memorable interview I've ever done. I don't know how you feel about that, David, but I felt like I was sitting in on part of history. Yeah, because we're we're in there, and and first we're told he's not there, and then you hear his voice from behind the door going, it's all right, let him in. Right. And, uh, you know what I was going to say is that um, when I was in Dallas a couple of weeks ago doing a, a book signing, and the person who told us that he wasn't there was Barbara Goodman. Barbara, yep. Barbara. Uh-huh. Yeah, I saw I saw Barbara. She came with a couple of other former Cowboys employees to one of the book signings that I did. We didn't talk about that specifically, but um, it, it was great to see her. And I that I always remember her, you know, being so protective of Tom. And in that case, with the door cracked open a little bit, and she's telling us that he's not available, and Tom hearing our voices, you know, said, "Oh, that's okay, let him in." So yeah, which says a lot about was, him and. No, I, it, it was very poignant as as both of us sat there across from his desk, and he was talking, and he had his his little boxes, and he was just packing up his office. He was taking his books from behind and talking a little bit, and then he would sit down, and yeah, it's a very surreal scene. So it, it really was. I felt like I was sitting in on part of NFL history there, and um, well, you were. I, I told that I told that story you know, so many times over the years because. You know, it, it, you know, the stories that we had in the paper the next day, you know, really kind of put a bow somewhat on the Landry years in that here, here he was like any of us would have been if we'd gotten fired, um, you know, going in and packing up our boxes. And and I think at one point he even said to us, David, you know, like, if I knew I had so much stuff, I would have done this a long time ago. Or, yes, yes. You know, we would have been out of yeah. a long time ago. So, so um, yeah, doing the whole book was really like a, a fun, a fun journey for me. Gary, what is there? I, I, you know, Jerry to me is a guy who doesn't deal with him much. Just strikes me as incredibly unpredictable, David. I don't know how if if that's a word you'd use or not. Oh, I think he's very predictable in a lot of ways. He has his own idiosyncrasies and and the way he looks at things but it's but you have you have to be submerged into his world to understand his rationale for a lot of things i'll agree with that and so so gary what was the biggest surprise that you got out of this book um in relation to who jerry jones is you know that's a really good question and um the first time i met with him was in december of 2016 at a hotel in New York, and I was contemplating doing the book at that point, but I wasn't sure, but I was doing a big story uh, for the Daily News, which is where I, I worked until this past April, um, 
And as we started, to, and I know you guys saw this at some point, but as he started talking about 1989 and, and how he stretched himself financially, he started crying. And I, I saw that a couple more times between then and the Hall of Fame because he was doing a lot of reminiscing then and all the stories that people were doing him for the Hall of Fame. And he just got surprisingly emotional. And he told me that he had asked his doctor why these flashbacks and talking about what had happened in 1989 was, was getting him that way. And it was genuine tears. It wasn't like he was working himself up. It just, like, started. It just started happening. And he said his doctor told him that he had been through, I don't know, I can't remember if the word was traumatic or, or life-changing or whatever experience in, in 1989 where he really did stretch himself financially to buy the team. Um, and it, it was, it was, had a lot lasting impact on, on him emotionally. And, and now when he was being asked to, to recall all the events of buying the team as he was preparing for the, the hall of fame. And again, as, as people were doing all these stories on him, it just brought out the emotion in him. So I think, you know, just on a personal level, uh, that, that was probably the biggest surprise is, is his reaction to that. The rest of it is, um, I guess the biggest surprise to me is, you know, from a distance here in New York, we, we know how involved uh, Stephen and Charlotte and Jerry Jr. are, but it really is a $5 billion mom-and-pop operation. Now, obviously, there are lots of people that work there and the coaching staff and the marketing staff and all that, but his three kids are, you know, at the top of the, um, the, top of the food chain there in terms of... Uh, Heading up departments, and uh, and the family is extremely close to the point that Charlotte tells me, and you guys might know this, that they go on family vacations together. Thanksgiving weekend after the Cowboys play on Thanksgiving, they usually go away, and and, and Jerry more often than not will say, "Okay, well, you know, we gotta we gotta sit and talk about the team now." And she says it's like it's like having a board meeting on vacation that the four of them sit around. Excuse me, and, and discuss cowboy business even when they're on vacation. So it's like they almost can't get away from each other. All right, Gary. Well, thank you for spending some time with us. Um, the uh, book is available uh, at your. It, it's available at your local bookstores, correct? As uh, well as online. all the bookstores around the Metroplex and Amazon.com and all those fine online services. And um, you know, it's not quite the same without my pal Barry Horn, but. You know, Evan and David and Kevin, you keep on the tradition and one of the finest podcasts in America. <laughs> that's right. Well, it's one of the finest podcasts in this building, that's yeah, for sure. no question. <laughs> Jerry Myers, thank you very much for joining us uh, on this edition of the Ballsy Podcast. And that'll do it for us today. Um, that was a very awkward Cowboys. dismount. Thank you very much, Gary. All right, take care, guys. Thanks, you Gary. Too. You know, I, I gotta learn to give like the uh, the guy the ability to say, "Okay, take, see you later," and then move into the. Uh, That's always a really awkward thing, especially when there's a uh, a little time lapse there, like you're watching it on TV, and the guy's just standing there looking at the uh, camera. I'm oh, gonna get this. Really I'm awkward. gonna get this like radio podcast thing, just in time for it to go right. Radio podcast, under. yeah. Okay. Um, <laughs> but that has been the Cowboys podcast for today. We've also had podcasts on. Uh, the Rangers, and they're wandering and searching for a manager. 
uh, and also someone on, say meandering, but that's just me. There, there is some meandering going on there, and uh, college football, which uh, I think we will be talking about the trap game that nobody saw coming <laughs> uh, for the University of Texas, which apparently lost its moho this week. Moho. Uh, but uh, join us for those and uh, we will talk to you soon everybody thanks for listening to the Cowboys Ballsy Podcast be sure to subscribe to our weekly episodes on iTunes follow us on Facebook and Twitter too just search the Ballsy with a Z Podcast until next time sports fans we'll see you